Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Saturdays with Jenny. With Jenny every Saturday from, from 9, 9 to 11 a.m. On Kaya FM 95.9. Well, welcome to the second hour of Saturdays with Jenny. And if you were on board for the first hour, hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you're going to stay right through until the very end. And also to feel relaxed at the end of it all, because we just do need to relax a little bit. The world needs to relax, you know. It hasn't been an easy year, my word. We're going to look back on this year and think, how did this ever happen? Our grandchildren will, you know, just say... That's what our grandparents, or that's what we did when we were tiny, and we can hardly believe it. But we're going to move on to something. Of course, this is Heritage Month, and uh, I'm mad about history and paleontology and all sorts of things that I cobble together and say it is history one way or the other. And uh, and uh, City Press published about two to three weeks ago such an interesting piece and I read it then and I just thought god this is wonderful and um and it is uh, uh, something called ancestral voices and uh, the headline in city press was 891 ancestral writings in indigenous languages discovered by heritage publishers well you know I know publishing in this country and I didn't know about heritage publishers and I should have done because now I'm going to marry them and um, and this is a, a really, really interesting, really interesting um, campaign. And um, in its research for stories to be included in South Africa's leading heritage series, which is called Our Story, and it's published by City Press, and I have seen it in City Press. And uh, they've been running extracts from the past few months. And the publishers discovered a collection of writings that can only be described as a treasure trove of South African culture and history. And, of course, we go back to those 891 writings. Well, let's find out more about it. And, of course, the publisher of Ancestral Voices, and I think it sounds fantastic, is Terence Ball, and he, is, he joins us on the line. And, Terence, first of all, welcome to Kaya FM. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to, to be interviewed about the ancestors of the majority of South Africans. Well, indeed. And uh, just just clarify something for me. There is another publisher uh, in South Africa uh, with the same surname, Jonathan Ball? Oh, yes, older brother. Um, you know, I've always been referred to as Jonathan's brother, and I refer to him as my brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever it is, I mean, he's made his mark in publishing in South Africa in a big way, and I think this is just the most fantastic idea. And, uh, I mean, I love the fact that that you are looking into our history, into our ancestry. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, it all started, gee, 1986, when I started traveling extensively through Southern Africa, particular emphasis on South Africa, um, and started to learn a few of our uh, indigenous languages and find out about the people. Unfortunately, I'm not fluent in any, but I can greet and sort of all and understand a little bit of all of the official indigenous languages. Well, sitting, uh, no, please go on. I was sitting with uh, friends um, in a small rural village called Wani in Limpopo, and uh, we were discussing the... Um, meetings between their ancestors. One was a, an Amashangana who spoke Chitsonga, the other was a Batswanga who spoke Chitsonga, and the third friend was uh, a Chivenda. And uh, they were asking me about the history of the first meeting of their ancestors and the role of the Portuguese. And out of that discussion was born our story series, 
um, which you made reference to um, a little earlier. Well, I, I mean, it's it's absolutely fabulous, and uh, and I mean, it does stretch into Mozambique every now and then because we're closely allied, and uh, and I mean, I saw a couple of Mozambican names, which I'm sure will come up in the discussion, but uh, uh, but so so I mean, from that, did you just go home and think, okay, well, I'm going to do ancestral voices, and I mean, how did it happen? No, uh, we started with the Our Story series. Um, I knew that I didn't want to publish textbooks. I was looking to make the past of this country as interesting and as appealing as possible. Yes. Uh, and clearly one of the major challenges we have, you referred to um, uh, South Africans' uh, lack of, of um, extensive reading, uh, is, is literacy. So we developed the series uh, essentially as readers for the language classroom, which contained valuable content about the past. Um, of the country, the, the, the people and the events that shaped the, the country. And of course, we started with a well-known battle called the Battle of Mshatuzi River, because without that battle, Shoshandan would not have fled into Mozambique, he would not have created the Gaza Empire, and we wouldn't have uh, Amashandana living in Limpopo and in um, Mozambique. Okay, and this is where you, I mean, had you started picking up our own, uh, our, uh, our own languages or, or was this the starting point? No, it was uh, in 86 was the starting point. I heard Chitsonga being spoken for the first time. Yes. And, uh, you know, uh, the greeting is, is quite different from this. Um, initially in the morning, I've shared, I hear in Fukile and Jani. And I thought that there's a similarity between this language and Isi Zulu. And that's how it started. Um, and I found out, obviously, about uh, the Amandwandwe uh, and uh, Andeswide Kalanga. I won't go into that story, but when we were researching for further books, we've now published uh, 23 books, and that has just grown to uh, 27. We published four books in the last week mm. um, in the Our Story series. And while doing research for new titles, um, some years ago, we came across uh, these writings, which are held by the Special Collections Unit of the Department of Library Services at the University of Pretoria. And we are now working with them to give our ancestors their voices back. Okay, so when you say they were discovered, I mean, I've, I've been into quite a few archives and things like that. They're bewildering. Um, they're overwhelming. Um, some are in good condition, some are in bad condition. But, uh, I mean, to discover, in inverted commas, 891 ancestral writings, um, I mean... What were you smoking? I mean, how did it happen? <laughs> well, after the meeting I told you about, obviously I was looking at doing something on the Vavenda. Uh, Divanyika, who was the first Vavenda king who crossed the Limpopo to live in South Africa, and Makado. And I made contact with uh, Dr. Um, Nemuzavadi, who was at that time South Africa's leading authority on uh, the Vavenda. Unfortunately, a very elderly man, he passed away about 18 months ago. Um, and he brought with him to um, his meeting with me his doctorate, his doctorate um, um, in, in a box file. And one of the people that he interviewed as part of his thesis uh, was a Dr. van Vanuwer, who was um, an astounding uh, linguist, uh, spoke all of our indigenous languages fluently, uh, and an ethnologist. And it was van Vanuwer's idea to put together um, a... Uh, um, not a competition, uh, to, just to put together a, a whole list of subjects 
that he wanted indigenous language uh, speakers to write about in their own languages because these customs and cultures he saw were dying. And that resulted in these writings in, in seven of our nine indigenous languages. The reason for seven is that uh, Zundabele and Saswati were not written languages between 1930 uh, and 1950 when these works were written. So who wrote them? A whole range of people. I just discovered uh, a male nurse uh, who uh, was born in Limpopo but lived in Kensington is one author. Numerous teachers, principals, etc. One of them, R.R.R. Tlomo, is uh, a very well-known writer and journalist. In fact, in 1929, he became the first person to have a novel published in an an indigenous language, which was Isizulu. Um, So... And we're still discovering, obviously, more. We've just had to revise our number from 187 authors to 186 because one of the, one of them is a, is a lady who obviously married between writings uh, and, and submitted materials under two different surnames. But um, what is intriguing is that one of the authors, uh, a Salibua author, finishes off his work by saying that he wrote this piece after interviewing the oldest man in the village who is estimated to be 80 years old. So that would mean that that man was born in, let's call 1850 to 1860. Yes. Now, if his grandfather was alive, he would have heard stories from his grandfather about his people going back to the late 1700s. And that illustrates the incredible value of these writings um, because we're hearing it sort of through two generations going back, what would it be, five or six generations? Well, I mean, so you've discovered, I'm sure, interesting facts. I mean, I've reading. I mean, I haven't. I'm not as literate as you are, obviously. But um, but interesting facts discovered in the writings. I've just got a little list here. A dreadful famine referred to in a number of writings across KwaZulu Free State and Limpopo. Um, reports of cannibalism. But this must have been at the time of of King Shaka. Well, absolutely. Um, there's a fantastic writing about the action that Shaka took against the Amazimu, the cannibals. And he sent out uh, Machana Sitole um, to head, uh, heading up three of his regiments um, to deal with uh, the cannibals uh, that were threatening um, his people. And that's quite extraordinary. In a writing by the Palabedu, the rain queen, uh, we hear of the famine being so severe that people were eating the skins of animals. Um, in Free State, we hear again of, of uh, cannibalism. Um, clearly, we haven't yet scratched the surface of these writings. We've tra- translated uh, and transcribed 80 of them thus far, and we're working on a further 45. Um, only about half of the 891 writings have been scanned in by the University of Pretoria. So um, I can hardly call this a representative example of these works, but every single work I've read is is absolutely fascinating, um, revealing all sorts of aspects of how the ancestors lived in terms of their medicine-making, in terms of the way those medicines were administered, which is an important part of traditional uh, medicine, hut building, village building, carving techniques, um, history, and I can go on forever and ever. 
we are talking to Terence Ball, who is the publisher of Ancestral Voices. And I'm absolutely mesmerized by this. And I hope you are as well. And, uh, and Terence, just, just before we go back to a question that I've got for you, um, right at the very beginning, you've published how many books about our history? Uh, there are 23 plus 4, 27 books published, and we've got another six which we will be publishing before the end of this year. So you've got me now on your mailing list, haven't you? Well, I've seen so. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Okay, so so we will talk anyway. So I must be on your mailing list, and I want the titles of of all of this stuff because it's it's so fascinating. All right, so let's uh, let's go back to the discussion we had, and we were talking about some of the um, the really really interesting um, yes. facts that ap- that appeared. For instance, um, a, a piece about divinatory bone throwing, the interpreting of the bones, and what bones should be included. I never thought of that. Correct, yeah. This is a a Vatsonga text um, written by a gentleman uh, who was born again in a remote rural village not far from the one I referred to earlier. And uh, he talks about growing up um, in that area as a boy herding um, cattle, etc., etc. And uh, he moves then on to um, he's moved down to Johannesburg where he worked on the Robertson Mine when it was still a small village. And he tells us that he then went to Kimberley where he earned two pounds a week working on the diamond mine there. Um, and then talks about um, the divination bones and uh, talks about the bones that need to go into the collection and how to interpret them once thrown. So it's, again, a fascinating uh, part of, of our culture. And it would be patterns. I mean, the bones would fall in a certain way, so there would be certain patterns that you would have to, to have Correct. to memorize. It's the way they fall, whether yes. they fall face down, face up, um, whether they are standing, um, and, and so on. I, I, I don't profess to be an expert in this, but uh, it, it makes for very interesting reading. And, and, and also, I mean, um, an interesting piece on traditional wood carving among the, uh, among the Vasonga. Again, yes, uh, the gentleman looks at the kind of trees that should be used um, for various items. And these range from spoons to chairs uh, to wooden bowls, etc., etc. Clearly uh, trying to preserve the techniques, um, the carving techniques of his ancestors. And that's the joy of these works because these people, I mean, you were talking a little bit earlier about um, a clutch of New South African authors. Well, we've got a whole lot whose voices have been quiet for nearly a hundred years. And, and it is just so exciting and, and such a privilege to be part of this, uh, this project. Well, I, w- I would say, because I think you're opening windows that were shut and yes. just allowing part of our history to, to escape. And, uh, uh, and right. of course, I mean, you're speaking to, to our Afropolitans and some of them will have come from these areas. But what strikes me in the little bit that, uh, that I've been able to read in that City Press uh, article um, is, is the number of tribes that were moving. They were, they were sort of ambulatory all over the place I mean uh, the Bakuna I've never heard of the Bakuna uh, mm. d- breaking away from Shoshangan while on their way to present uh, to present day Zimbabwe just just go into this this rest this movement of of tribes in an uncertain time I suppose yes um, well certainly a lot of it obviously originated from um, Shaka's rise to power the Battle of Mkhartuzi River because 
the two leading, um, or the two clans uh, that were involved in the battle were essentially the Mtetwa, um, uh, under Shark Kassenza Bakona, it was just before they became the Amazulu that we know today, and the Amandwanwe, who were led by Zwide Kalanga, Shoshangan Kandimalo was a junior chief, and Zwangindaba Kajele uh, was uh, another one of the chiefs supporting Zwide Kalanga. And uh, both Shoshangan and, uh, um, uh, 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 sorry, Daba Kajele fled into Mozambique. And Zwangindaba went right up to Zambia and Malawi. If you go to Zambia or Malawi and you come across Zulus or um, Kiwis, they are all descendants of the Ngorni clan. So that alone resulted in a lot of movement of people. We know that Zwangindaba attacked and brought down the Barozwi Empire in Zimbabwe. Um, some of those people moved southwards and joined up with the Bavenda and the Balabetu. So there was a huge amount of movement. Now, the work that you're referring to is written by a man called Shiluwana, which is a very well-known um, name amongst the Bankuna. Uh, in fact, Shilubana I was the king of the Bankuna at the time. And um, he talks about how they were traveling together with Shoshangan, and Shoshangan uh, made a rather threatening statement, uh, which Shilubana I was uh, a little alarmed by. And as a consequence, he started to veer away and headed westwards um, and settled in the area of Zanin in about uh, 1836-1838, around that period. And again, fascinating stories about the introduction, his introduction to the reign queen um, of the Balabedu at that time and how they interacted. So, so <clears throat> the history isn't really just Amazulu or, or anything like that. It is, it is that eastern part of, of South Africa. No, it's, it's across the whole of South Africa. Uh, currently, what you today call Northwest, Limpopo, obviously Gauteng in the centre of that, and Pumalanga, Eastern Cape. Their works on the Amabata, on the uh, Shubi, uh, on the Amakhahabi, Amataleka, uh, Amalala, <laughs> the list goes on and on and on. Um, and uh, it's, as I say, a captivating story. So I think one of the enormous coincidences I should mention, because I believe it of great interest, is that um, I was contacted by the uh, High Commission in, in London, South African High Commission in London. And the gentleman who contacted me uh, was, I could hear from his accent, was an Isitosa mother tongue speaker. Ah. Um, and I asked him about where he came from in the Eastern Cape, and he said he was a Shubi. Now, I had just read two days earlier the story of Bertie and Tapai, which I think you may have come across as well. Yes. Now, what happened there was that the Shubi, uh, when they settled around the Mount Fia uh, area, um, they, they're... Um, Nkosi Makawola sent men down to Fini, Grahamstown, to fetch a priest. And they came back with the Reverend White. Reverend White had no children, so Makawola gave his eldest son, Bertie and Tapai, mm. to the priest. When the priest finished his term, he left for England with Bertie, his adopted son. The author goes on to tell us that Bertie married a white lady and died in 1938, leaving two daughters, and that he's buried in England. The man phoned me from the High Commission two days after I read this, and he was, believe it or not, a Bata. <laughs> and I said, well, I have something to send to you, which I'm going to do immediately. 
uh, and he phoned me back having read it uh, and, and uh, was absolutely astounded. And we now have the support of the High Commission for the series, the work that we're doing, and our, initi- our initiative to find Bertie and Topai's grave. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that the High Commission has already contacted the Heritage Association in the UK um, to begin the search. Um, so, so, uh, so are you talking about the the um, British High Commission here in South Africa as well as in the UK? No, I'm talking about the, the, the UK High Commission. Okay. The High Commission in the UK is taking responsibility to negotiate with heritage agencies in the UK to trace um, Reverend White and obviously Bertie to find out where Bertie is buried. Well, I mean, the the British High Commissioner here would be so supportive of this. I mean, he would be so interested. He really would be. So I hadn't even thought about contacting them, to be quite honest. But, uh, yeah, I think that one should do that. Yes, that's Nigel Casey. I'd be very interested. Listen, we could go on forever, but we can't. Um, so so it, for Afropolitans, I mean, where would you go? And where, could you buy these books or are they only on online? Uh, they, they're not even online as yet. Um, but we are going to be putting them online and what we hope is to set up a very inexpensive subscription offer for all of the works as they are translated uh, and as they are um, typed up in the new orthography in our indigenous languages um, without being edited, frankly, because of their importance. Uh, And then we will work, obviously, on finally editing them. And once we have a more representative sample of these writings, we will then take decisions, publishing decisions, around um, hard copy books, what should be published. I mean, immediately one thinks that we can split these either geographically or thematically. But we need to be um, much more aware of the content of the material and the extent of the different writings. Well, what a pleasure this has been. I want to say thank you very much indeed. So we've got to wait until we can access this. But in the meantime, I guess the best is to buy City Press. Indeed. There's a lovely, lovely story about the, uh, the people of the Rain Queen tomorrow. That a lot of South Africans, I think, would be interested in reading. Okay. Terence, listen, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure for me and I hope for you as well and definitely for our Afropolitans in Heritage Month. I mean, it couldn't get better, could it? Indeed. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about these works. That was... Terence Ball, publisher of Ancestral Voices. And, I mean, I am going to get onto his mailing list and he will keep me, you know, up to speed. But it is City Press that there is a liaison with. So do go and have a look tomorrow. And it's um, it, there's a, usually a little line drawing as well with it. And uh, I promise from now on I'm going to be reading it much more carefully than I have done in the past. Saturdays with Jenny. With Jenny, every Saturday from, from 9, 9 to 11 a.m. On Kaya FM 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.